Our first reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 7 through to 17. Satan thrown down to earth. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, the times, and half a time. The servant poured poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep away her with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. And now we go back to Revelation chapter 2, a few pages earlier. Revelation chapter 2, at verse 8. And the angel of the church in Smyrna, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt. By the second death. At our, um, our prayer meeting on Tuesday night this week past, we were praying for persecuted Christians around the world. And in the course of putting together the information for that, I came across this news report from the city of um, Jos in Nigeria. Let me read it to you. A potential massacre of Christians in a packed church in Jos, Plateau State, was prevented on Sunday morning, the 12th of July. That's last week, last Sunday morning, while we were in here. um, This is what was happening in Joss. A security guard spotted a polythene bag by the entrance of the church that looked suspicious. After inspecting it, he picked up the bag and threw it away, whereupon it exploded. A wall took most of the blast, but the guard also suffered minor injuries 
No one else was hurt. Who was on the door this morning? It was Rosalind and Joe, wasn't it? It's like that. They spot a suspicious package and throw it outside in the nick of time. The report goes on. Police arrived at the church and found a second explosive planted in another part of the building. While nobody has claimed responsibility for this failed bombing, it is just one more in a long list long list of attacks on churches and Christians in the north and central regions of Nigeria. And that was last Sunday. And presumably the congregation was evacuated after all of that and, and people went home and, you know, thank God no one was hurt. But think about the seven days that those folks will have had since then, just last seven days, as they would have been thinking, I guess, wouldn't they, about what so nearly happened, thinking we were all in there. It was busy had the kids with me. Uh, they were, would be wondering, I guess, about what it would be like to go back to church this week, knowing that you're in a city where people are very much out to get you. must have been a hard week for them. And actually, because that part of Nigeria is in the same um, um, time zone as us, it's very likely that right now, as in right now, those people are meeting one week later. They're all in there. And somebody is standing up to speak to them. And what could you possibly say? After those events, after that kind of a week, what could you possibly say to a church in that situation? Well, the passage that we read in Revelation says, I think, something of what Jesus would say to a church in that situation. For these summer weeks, we're looking at these letters from the risen Jesus to these seven churches in Asia Minor. Last week, it was Ephesus, a church that was faithful but frigid. They uh, were thinking and working, but they had lost their warmth of love for the Lord Jesus. And this week, it's Smyrna. Smyrna. It's a short letter, so it's more of a postcard, really. And there's no criticism in it. It's all warmth. It's all encouragement because this is what Jesus says to strengthen a little church that is facing ferocious opposition, that is really going through the mill. This is what Jesus says to them, to strengthen them in the face of that. And it's interesting, he doesn't promise to keep them safe. He doesn't say that they won't suffer or even die. Instead, what Jesus says is he assures them that he knows what they are going through. And he urges them, in the face of their sufferings, to look to eternity. That's what he says to them. And that's what he says to us as well. We, we saw last week, we noticed that although all of these letters are written to one, of, one, one church in particular, they actually also speak to all of the churches. So that refrain comes at the end of each, each letter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Because each letter, although it's particular, also speaks to all the churches. And so for us, even though Edinburgh is not like Smyrna, Edinburgh is not like Joss, this letter speaks to us too, and the experiences that we have of being a Christian being not completely easy, the experiences that we have of opposition and hostility. Jesus says to us that as Christians face that, he's with them, he knows, and he urges us as we face that to look to eternity and so not to be afraid but to keep on speaking for him.
On the service sheets, you'll see that a bit like last week, we're going to break this down into two parts, what Jesus says. And the first part of this little letter is this. Jesus says that he he knows that his people suffer for their loyalty to him. He says he knows that his people suffer for their loyalty to him. I um, said last week that these letters show us, um, they, they show how the rest of Revelation all the the more kind of psychedelic, exciting chapters, how that works out on the ground in everyday life. All of that, the spiritual war that is raging. Like what Archie read to us in chapter 12, you have this vivid description of the war that is raging with the dragon swept out of heaven and he's on the earth making war against the people of God. What does all that mean? Well, here in chapter 2 we see what that means is a little church like Smyrna facing ferocious persecution. They are suffering, and Jesus says, I know. I know what you're going through. If you look down at the verses there, verse 9, that's what he says straight away. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Smyrna, or um, Ismir, as it's now known, is a big city. And within that big city, these Christians were a little fragile group socially and it seems also economically they were vulnerable they were suffering and Jesus says to them I know I know how it is and Jesus also says that he he knows about the slander that they face if you look on in the letter uh, throughout the ancient world as the message of Jesus spread it was very often among um, the Jewish community the people most readily understood and accepted, I guess, from the Old Testament, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. But we also see in the book of Acts and here in Revelation that it was also from that community that there was the strongest opposition. And so here in Smyrna, it seems that folks in the synagogue were saying all kinds of things against their neighbors in this little Christian church, saying all kinds of things about them to stir up trouble for them. And Jesus says, again, I know about all that. And Jesus also knows what's going to happen to them. If you look down at verse 10, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Even though this little church is already hard-pressed, Jesus says it's going to get worse. For some of them, it'll mean jail. For some of them, it'll mean martyrdom. So this church is staring down the barrel. It's in a city that is very much out to get them. And Jesus addresses them, his people. He doesn't say he's going to keep them safe. He doesn't say it's all going to be fine. Instead, he says, I know what you're going through. Think of the power of that. Jesus is really saying, nothing's gone wrong. I haven't lost control of the situation. I know what's going on. I know what I'm doing. Will you trust me? And there's also another very special sense behind these words, I know. I guess if, um, if you or I had, had friends in Joss, we might Skype them and say, we might say words to try to encourage them. 
But I guess, and maybe we would feel this, that our, our words would have a certain hollowness as we try to sympathize, because we, we don't know. I mean, maybe one or two of us might, if you lived abroad or really faced that. One or two of us might know what that's like, but for most of us, we don't know, really, not firsthand, what it's like to experience that kind of persecution. But when Jesus speaks to his friends in Smyrna, he can really say, I know what you're going through. As the letter began, look look down at verse 8, please. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, the words of the first and last, as Jesus is referring to himself, who died and who came to life. We saw last week how these introductions in the letter, they each pick up a different aspect of the vision from chapter 1, and they're specifically chosen to fit with the content of the letter that then follows. And you can see that here for Smyrna, because Jesus, as he introduced himself, is the one who died. He faced hostility and slander. He was imprisoned and killed. And so he really can say to these Christians, I know. And so I take it, these are precious words for suffering Christians, for Christians who are living in fear of persecution. Jesus would say, those folks in Joss this morning, I hope somebody in that church is saying, from the Bible, I know. Jesus is not far away in that situation, but he is standing right there with them. And for us, well, uh, I guess for us, the persecution that we're likely to face is not that kind of open violence. But there is still a cost, isn't there, to being a Christian and being known as a Christian in the UK. Some of you may have heard on the radio this week or in the newspapers, um, um, Farron, um, the per- man who's just been elected to be the leader of the Lib Dems, Tim Farron. Uh, he, he's been doing the rounds in the newspapers, um, on the radio, and he's, you know, I don't know anything about him as a person or about his policies, really, but he, he's somebody who's known as a Christian believer. And on Radio 4, it was on at lunchtime one of the weeks, one of the uh, afternoons this week, and there was also an article in the paper that I read. You can kind of sense as people talk about that fact that he's a Christian, a, a certain amount of eye-rolling. Um, there wasn't much analysis of what he believes or of how if that had had any impact upon his politics. But you just had a sense as people interviewed him or wrote about him that this guy's probably a bit of an idiot and quite possibly a nasty idiot. Now, let me be clear. I would rather face the eye-rolling than having bombs at the front door. But it is helpful for us to acknowledge together that it isn't always easy to be known as a Christian. And some of you, as I look out, will know that only too well from school, at work, with families, with friends. It's often not something we're rushing to talk about or to tell people about ourselves because we fear, we find that then in conversation there will be assumptions stacked against us about what we believe and why. There's the kind of eye-rolling that we might face. Or sometimes it's a bit more aggressive than that. You know, you meet the sort of person who thinks that that Christians want to oppress everyone or that Christians hate science. And so they then, you know, with a suspiciously religious zeal, rant about how 
religion is evil and a mental illness and all that sort of thing. Well, you have to face, you have to put up with that. Or, or much more seriously, um, Christians are starting to worry about the legal situation in our country. From a layman's point of view, it seems that more and more there are laws not just about what people do, but what they believe and what they say. And, uh, I mean, who knows when ordinary Christians might begin to fall foul of that. What Jesus says to his people as they suffer for their loyalty to him, I know. It's not outside of it of his experience, and it's not outside of his control. These are very warm words for Christians who face that kind of opposition. And it it may well be that for you here, that's an encouragement that you need this morning. You've been sticking your neck out. You've been facing embarrassment for being a Christian and being known as a Christian. Jesus says, I know all about that. I'm standing right with you. But as well as being a warm encouragement, I have to be honest, I found this quite challenging this week for myself. Because, I don't know about you, but I'm able to control, really, the the level of hostility I face, the level of vulnerability I feel, by regulating the amount of public loyalty for Jesus that I show. And because I like an easy life, because I'm a bit of a chicken, really, I keep quiet a lot of the time. It's easy, isn't it, to to keep our heads below the parapet. Well, this letter is saying we mustn't do that. Smyrna, what these Christians face, is normal Christian life during wartime. We're promised in the Bible that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And so again, as I read this letter, as I'm reminded that this is the normal Christian life, it does challenge me. It asks whether I've been chickening out. Because if I'm not getting a harder time than I am, is that perhaps because I'm settling down instead of standing out? Now, it's always hard to talk about that because it's it's easy to feel bad and it's easy to make other people feel bad about not being um, more bold than we are. But it it is possible, isn't it, for us to keep our heads down in a way that is not right for Christians to not show that public loyalty. And of, of course, a lot of Christians do get into trouble because they say silly things, or they're very strident about it, and it's, it's not a shame that we don't fall into that. But at the same time, there is a legitimate question for us to ask of ourselves here. Am I being loyal and taking the cost of that? Because it's a wonderful promise, isn't it? As we do experience that, Jesus says, I know, I know. That's the first part of the letter. And then in the second part, Jesus goes on to give even more encouragement for these suffering Christians. Not only does he know and sympathize, but in the light of eternity, Jesus urges his people to stand firm. He says, as you face your sufferings now, look ahead. Think of the eternal future. It is striking, isn't it, how Jesus doesn't promise to rescue these people, his people. Perhaps he's not the best saviour after all. He, he doesn't promise that they'll be fine. He, he says they're going to suffer even more, in fact. But you see, that's not the kind of saviour Jesus is. He doesn't save his people from the short-term suffering. Yes, very painful, 
very real, but nonetheless short-term suffering. What he saves his people from is something much bigger. Have a look down at the, that first verse, verse 8 again, please, as Jesus introduces himself. The words of the first and last who died and came to life. What Jesus saves his people from is death itself. He died, he was raised to eternal glory, and that is what he's promising here. You see that in verse 10? Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. What he's saying is that if we stand loyally with Jesus in his suffering, then we will also stand with him in his glory. If we will follow in the footsteps of the cross, then we will also follow in the footsteps of the resurrection. We might well say, oh, well, brilliant, another unprovable promise of a heavenly reward, pie in the sky when you die. But this is credible because we can see the resurrection of Jesus as a fact in history. We can look at the evidence. We can see what the witnesses wrote. And so actually it is credible when Jesus says, if you stand with me at the cross, then you will stand with me in my resurrection. He's saying, look to the future as you suffer. Look to the future. Because the worst thing that they can do to you, even if they take away your life, it will not really hurt you in the end. Actually, there's, um, there's something even more than that in what uh, Jesus is saying here. Like the, the introductions, the end of the letters in this little section are also very specific to the content of what's been said. Uh, so have a look at this in verse 11. At the end of each of these letters, there's a, there's a promise for those who respond And it it matches the content of the letter. So verse 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, uh, sorry, um, the one who who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now it's in chapter 20 of Revelation that we find out what that phrase means, the second death. Let me read it to you. John's vision. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea surrendered its dead those who were in it. And Hades gave up the dead who were in it. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then Hades and death were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. By laying down his life for us. Jesus rescued us, if we're Christians, from the second death, from an eternal punishment that, as we read about it in Revelation, is pretty hard to face, hard to get our heads around. For what we've done, 
supremely for the way we've treated God, all of us, all of us, we deserve to be sent away from God forever. And the imagery of John's vision there helps us to feel maybe just a little bit the horror of what that means. But in his love on the cross, Jesus faced that punishment for us. That furious anger of God was poured out on him so that we could be forgiven when we put our trust in him. That's the good news that on the final day when we stand before that great white throne in judgment, our names can be found written in the Lamb's book of life. And so for the suffering church in Smyrna, Jesus points forward to that day, to that eternal perspective. He says, when you think about suffering and opposition and the embarrassment that you'll face, the bravery that it takes to be known as a Christian and to be known as somebody who believes what the Bible actually says, don't just think of this day and the hardship of now. Think of that day. Think of that day. Because in the light of that eternal second death from which we have been saved, it's not so much. It's not so much if we suffer for him now. And also, as we think of what Jesus bore for us, it's not so much to suffer for him now. And also, what we think of what those around us who don't yet know the Lord, what they need rescued from, it's not so much to speak and to live in a way that is a wee bit bolder in pointing to him. We need to speak up and face the cost of that because eternity is right around the corner. I guess we all know that phrase, life's too short. Life's too short to, I don't know. Well, Jesus is reversing that here, saying life is too long. Life is too long for Christians to be afraid of opposition. Life is too long for Christians to be silenced by the embarrassment they might face. Life is too long for us to keep quiet about the rescue from the second death that every single person needs. It's when we see that life is so long that it sets us free to use the short years that we have now. These words for suffering Christians. If, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this passage is asking you, what are you waiting for? Come to a Savior who stands with his people and will save them forever. If you are already a Christian, this passage is asking you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And so again, as we finish the second letter from the risen Jesus, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this little letter, so warm and yet so frank. We thank you for the personal assurance that it gives us that you 
Do not forget your people, but you know what they face. Lord, we thank you for the realism as you point us towards eternity, what you have saved us from, what it will be like to live with you, to pass through judgment safely into your presence and glory forever. Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world and particularly for that congregation in Joss this morning as they meet, that these truths of the Bible and of eternity would be very real to them and they would not be afraid. And Lord, for ourselves, we want to pray for that same strength to face the different challenges that come our way. Lord, please help us to be loyal, to be loyal in public. Help us to speak of the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Lord, we pray for that boldness this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.